Welcome back to the podcast, Jeff Isn't Working. I'm your host, Jeff Schroeder, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, very good friend of mine, Andrew Smith. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm really good. It's good to see you through this It's phone. good to see you. Yeah. And where are you right now? Because you're always all over the place. Where are you at yeah. physically right now? I'm, I'm physically in Wisconsin visiting my family in a place called Sussex and it's a, a charming neighborhood they live in and I'm just relaxing right now before I get busy again so where is it uh in reference to like Milwaukee um it's like a, a 30 minute drive to Milwaukee oh okay cool awesome yeah. awesome uh I've I've heard so many people talk about how Milwaukee is like the next spot um if you get a chance and you're in the city, uh, Pete's Pops is up there. Pete's a good dude. He also just got okay. a bowling alley. I don't know if it's open yet, but um, if you're in the Milwaukee area and listening to this, check out Pete's Pops and his bowling alley, which is, I don't know what it's named, but I'll put a link to it once this goes or is, up. Is he got like, like popsicles? Is that what he does? Yeah, he, popsicles. So yeah. He's, yeah. He's a popsicle guy. Yeah. It's basically like... Um, if you if you could dream up jobs and then they make sense business wise and they're successful, like that's what he does. It's like I'd love wow. to sell popsicles for a living and Pizza own a bowling smart alley. Man. Yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, do what you love, do what you love. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about you. So, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, um, and just kind of grew up in a pretty uh, normal. American dream uh, kind of place, and that's what I think. When Rockford, Illinois, was a nice, nicer place, like in the nineties, yeah. and um, and then yeah, and then we when family uh, changed, we shifted gears, and things went a little different with the family. I ended up living in Loves Park, just an offshoot of Rockford, and that was like through the high school years, and then went to to college in not too far away in Chicago. Columbia College of Chicago. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. High school, you went to Harlem? Yeah, I, actually, I did one year of high school at Christian Life High School, okay. and then I went to Harlem High School for the rest of high school, which was quite interesting, going from a, a Christian school to a public school. I actually did quite well in the adjustment, but the first couple of weeks was like, whoa, this is different. Not everyone yeah. cares about you here. Uh, <laughs> so, But I, I had a good time. I got to learn how to paint in high school and that's the only thing i really remember doing well at in high school is painting but yeah i mean i don't know every high school is a weird time for a lot of young people but i had a good time definitely definitely now you for those that can't see you and are listening to this how tall are you you're a tall guy i'm a gigantic man actually today i went to uh, try on some clothes and most clothes didn't fit that's how big i am I'm really? six foot five, giant barrel chested human, um, and I apparently carry a presence. I don't always remember. I don't think of myself that way, but if I'm sitting down at a table and I stand up and people haven't seen me, they get a little concerned, a little intimidated. Um, but then I, if they're nervous, I just give them a big hug. 
so just well that's what i was gonna say so the contrast is you are the gentlest soul (laughs) on the planet and it's it's infectious like i love talking to you i love you know (laughs) our text conversations because it you're just you're just joy you're just uninhibited joy where does that come from Where, where talk to me about that juxtaposition in life especially in the high school years like just being kind of you know when people saw you in high school i'm sure they were like the story is always you pick the biggest dude and that's who you fight on the first day so people don't know you're a punk or whatever did you get a lot of that aggression and animosity towards you because of your stature or were you so nice and joyful that people it it just put people at ease immediately well there. Yeah, it's interesting figuring yourself out in high school in general, I think. Who are you? What are you going to become outside of high school? And I already had saw myself beyond that place, and but I never never looked at my physicality as a thing until you realize people people do look at you a certain way because of your size. Um, if you're a big uh, person in high school, instantly they want you to be on basketball team or football team. Yeah. And... Um, at, at that time, I, athletics was not my my focus. I was already thinking of art, um, and really starting to enjoy doing artwork. Uh, so yeah, I did play basketball though, and that, that helped being being a giant person. But I, you know, I don't think being big is that interesting. But it, but it is like a cool. Um, it's a cool, like a cool calling card. Hey, there's that gigantic man. One yeah. of my favorite things, skipping forward a little, little while, but right after high school, you're out, out in the wild west, doing college, and you're like, okay, what's what's next? And then <laughs> I remember walking downtown Chicago, and this one of the guys that was on the street, you know, trying to get by, and he's asking folks for money. He he thought, well, that's a big man that I can just I just call him out. Hey, big man. Hey, hey, big man. Go come over here, big man. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Maybe because. I'm big. People feel like, I mean, that you're not always the scary guy. You're also like the big approach. Like you're like this. Uh, the protector. I drank too much coffee. Yeah, protector. I drank too yeah. much coffee, Jeff. I thought I was going to work really well for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We like them. Yeah, we like no, them caffeinated. Being big's fun, but it's on, on the inside. I'm, I'm a I'm an introvert that loves the arts, and um, yeah, I can I'll use my body as a uh, as a prop, you know. So sure, and that that that's kind of fun. It's it's rare. It's rare to meet someone that doesn't necessarily match that or have that be kind of their identity. You know what I mean? Like you said, high school. It's like fork in the road. Are you playing football, basketball, both? You know, like let's yeah. use let's leverage this to you know popularity or whatever. And with you, it's like you're you've you're just this you're an artist and you're an empath and you know like you, yeah yeah that's awesome that that always confuses uh, the the high school coaches. I remember when I was telling them what I was up to, they're like, "Oh yeah, you wanna you wanna make movies, huh, Andrew?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do. I want that's what I want to do." And I think they took it for a joke. And then you know, fast forward, I was able to work on a a feature film later on uh not not direct one yet but you know the the reality is that you didn't have to become this like caricature that you look like you can go 
wiggle your way into what your heart's desire is and get there. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't think it's really fair to be categorized. I actually I really hate that. That's one thing anyone that gets categorized, I think is really unfair. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so easy to do in society. Like I, especially now, I feel like we're cataloging sure. our universe to such minutia that it's like people have to fit a, a box in our mind. And if they don't epitomize everything in that category, you know, it just kind of like doesn't compute, you know, in a weird way. Yeah. So talk to me more about, uh, about college. So you go to Columbia. Yeah. What's that yep. scene like? I know a lot of people that went to Columbia and it kind of was you know, in tandem with second city, but never overlapped. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear that route. It was a really exciting first couple weeks. And it, well, first month was really exciting going from uh, a very like kind of normal commute well I don't know if Rockford or Loves Park's normal where I thought I thought was normal cornfields and just the same old same old now you're in the big city of Chicago giant skyscrapers everywhere you know you're a 19 year old big city it was very exciting and honestly overwhelming as well lot to do um but I, I came in with such enthusiasm for the art form of film that I really thought this would be the best place I could go to thrive and so I yeah. went in there with that heart and really saw film uh, school as a good thing but the funny thing is as soon as you're in that culture you hear all the negative and the negative yeah. actually can start to drown out the the romantic and exciting nature of the opportunity that you have um in front of you um, in fact, the, the first day freshman, this is a funny story, freshman uh, orientation, uh, I'll never forget his name, the, the, one of the, the heads of the department goes, well, Rich, his name is Rich Barnes, he goes, this degree right here, he pulls out a degree, thing that looks like a degree, I don't know if it was actually a degree, I guess it wouldn't be, he goes, in the film industry, this degree means nothing, and he, he rips it up. <laughs> And my, my mom was there to, you know, see the campus and take in the tour of the school with me. And uh, she, she quietly said under her breath, well, why are we sending you here? <laughs> right. it, it, was, yeah. it was quite an interesting moment. And then I realized um, actually that would be kind of like my experience at that school, that it was kind of it was a, um, kind of wasteful and um, maybe not fully thought out. Um, yeah. So it went from exciting to like a romantic, uh, like a weird, it, my, my life story there was like a weird indie uh, film that, that was kind of interesting to watch. And then it became really interesting to watch and then really dramatic, um, but more like a tragedy. So I, I really actually um, found a lot of heartbreak at, at Columbia College and uh, was ten, ended up having a... Um, you know, just I had a hard time there. So it was, it was quite a, I, ended up, I felt like I, I kind of got derailed from a lot of the dreams from my own poor choices and being a young person, just trying to figure out life. Um, but I, what I did learn was a lot about, uh, you know, cool uh, art house cinema films and things that were, that I didn't know about. So like they, they had a, attention to detail on some of the things that I always wanted to learn about. But I didn't get that far. So that was that was my Columbia experience. Right on. 
Did you were yeah. you a contemporary with uh, the guy who played young Anakin Skywalker? Went to Columbia. Were you there at the same time or no? Oh, Hayden Christensen went there. I didn't know that. No, no, no. The the other guy, the the kid, the like kid kid. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I know that uh, the great cinematographer uh, Giannis Kaminsky went there, but that was way before my time. Um, I know that the famous comedian uh, Andy Dick had went there. Oh, and then the SNL alum, she was like a year before me, and I forget her name. She's super funny. Uh, Aiden, Aiden Bryant, Aiden Bryant or something. Aiden, like yeah, Aiden was uh, in Second City when I was there, and yeah, uh, hilarious, so funny. Yeah, she's super funny. Yeah, so there's there's definitely success stories that have come out of Columbia, but it definitely has a unique. Uh, I don't know. It's a kind of a grab bag experience, I think, for a lot of people. Did you find any success with the one of the benefits of Second City? Wasn't the classroom curriculum? It was the networking. Did were you able to network with any potential filmmakers that you're still in contact with? Or? I was too young. I was too crazy. Um, yeah. You know, I was just excited about being having freedom and doing what I wanted to do and going to dumb parties and you yeah. know making the wrong choices. That's um, the norm. But uh, yeah, I was 19. I don't, I'm not excusing yeah. it. It was, a, it was bad behavior. It was actually a, a spirit of rebellion saying, hey, I could do this on my own. And that didn't work out. And I went on for well over a decade and it never, never really did work out. I just keep bumping my head. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there's, there was incredible grace I found in my life um, for all that. Um, but it did come with real damage. But, you know, I, I would say that that's a really awesome place for a young artist to kind of get it to begin a storyline or to get excited about creating. And Chicago is such a rich city of creativity and history of uh, the arts. And it's it's very vibrant all the time. So it's it's an electric place to be, I would say. And then yeah. and then it, it's really cool. And then people <laughs> get real miserable for a moment and then all of a sudden wakes up again and it's. So it's really, I think, a dynamic place. Yeah, I think that uh, it's always weird because, especially from the comedy side of things, there have been people that have had much success from Chicago, obviously. Um, but usually it involves relocating to one of the coasts. I'm sure with you know yeah. film, it's similar. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a weird... Um, sadomasochism of trying to do it here when you feel like at least I feel like if you're going to start somewhere you should at least start in a place where it's a little bit more accessible yeah but the fact like doing it here is part of the passion like I remember in Goodwill Hunting there was an interview with um the two dudes and they were saying that like the city of Boston is like you know the third character and that made sense to me in my passion for Chicago, it's like, this doesn't make sense anywhere else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other two cities that are known for the arts and entertainment, they are amazing and, and they are, they do have their unique facets, but they don't have the, the grit right. and that grit that comes out of Chicago. I find, I find particularly very interesting and I guess it's kept me coming back to my hometown area. 
yeah mean, i've been i've been out west i've been in i haven't been to new york city but i have been to la in that area and i could see why people would want to go there but i don't think those those uh art meccas uh, are all that i think you can you can do it wherever you, where your heart's at you know yeah absolutely absolutely um talk to me about your your travel so after columbia you left Columbia. You didn't graduate. You just left on on different yeah, terms. Yeah, college dropout. Yeah, they weren't they Same. weren't too concerned about me. They said, "Oh, <laughs> they said, go for it." I've, I'm like, what? I've been kicked out or dropped out of year. three colleges. Yeah. Um. So I I, I do get the do. yeah I do get the um most of this is a waste of time, especially for creative pursuits. You know, it'd be different. I, yeah. I, I kind of like, and we can talk about this a little bit, but I kind of like the apprenticeship of the unions. You know, especially if you're, mm-hmm. um, if you're doing it, the actual physical production, like learning on set, being a PA, holding a walkie-talkie, making sure cars don't come down this street for a while. You know, and like just kind of seeing the unwritten rules the you know yeah talent eats first you know kind of mm-hmm. weird stuff there's something to yeah. be said about that method over you know sitting in a classroom environment and talking about you know my blue valentine it's, yeah it's or very different <laughs> yeah it's right. very different yeah but one one of the most beautiful things we have now for uh all filmmakers or creative people is that all the rules kind of changed because of Definitely, the, the tools are available and be able to get it out there. Um, George Lucas had said, and I, I don't know why I'm quoting him, but it, it is an interesting quote that, and I think it was 10 years ago. He said, uh, you know, 20 years from now, everyone will be making films out of their uh, garages. Well, and it came sooner than that. You know, people are yeah. making, you know, movies with what they have, you know, out of their garages or whatever. Um, and, so it's the everything's changed but there are there are things you do have to learn on the big features and you know when you're working with uh professionals so yeah there you definitely have to go the right route but out out west it's a totally different thing and i've learned a little about that i should learn some more but um it almost sounds too difficult sounds like it sounds silly like why would you go not silly but um why would you go that route when you can just go make it your own and uh, make it happen why would why yeah. get worried about going to usc i mean i think that was the big thing for a lot of young filmmakers you gotta gotta get to usc that's yeah. where you're gonna get picked up by an age that's where your big film's gonna be seen and it is and that's where you know you get you get in uh the circuit real quick that way so, but you don't have to and i don't know if it is necessarily good these days because and I, this is my, my opinion but then you might get uh, kind of brainwashed you know you might be you might get some creative blinders put on you by going the more traditional route if, absolutely if I, yeah i don't know just a thought well, you think about you think about traditional gatekeepers in terms of big production companies and they no longer are interested it seems in unique ideas as much as they're interested in taking a existing franchise and squeezing another 100 million dollars out of it Right. You know, and that's kind of that's the right. the end of the not the end, but it, it it's an era in film and 
television where everybody, all the big places are playing defense and trying to, you know, squeeze the last dollars out of these nostalgic franchises that they sold you in the 80s. Yeah. But I remember hearing a keynote uh, address from Patton Oswalt for the Just for Last. Uh, I think it was in like 16 or 17. And he holds up his iPhone and he's like, there's more technology in my pocket than was available for the entire filming of Citizen Kane. He's like, you, there's no gatekeeper anymore. Go, point, right. shoot, explore. And it, there was a part of me, and I think what I love about being Gen X is it was the generation that got a band together in a garage, sounded horrible for indefinitely and then eventually was like well let's play in this basement and let's play in this coffee shop and let's play in the and then you know the some of them kind of melted away and got regular jobs as happens in the creative world but some of them you know kind of found their way into you know lower level bands and then you know kind of things so with with filmmaking I've always, and a lot of this goes back to the church, and this is why I love the um, the opportunities that I got in the church, was you really, outside of like swearing or making something that is, you know, overtly offensive for no reason, you really do have creative liberty and freedom. Mm-hmm. And they really do kind of just allow you to storytell and play around with storytelling and you know the audience is usually your peers at that point I was like 19 making short films for other 19 18 19 year olds and that was invaluable for the process yeah it's like yeah here let's see what we're let's test it on an audience let's see if you can keep their attention for two minutes 10 minutes 30 minutes you know that's funny. You just made me think of a memory. I got to do church media too. I, I grew up in the Salvation Army Church. It's a very interesting denomination, I would say. Um, you know, you don't know that when you're a kid growing up, you know, yeah. you get the bubble gets popped and you, you go somewhere else or you start to learn more about your faith journey. And anyhow, I remember one summer they let me go do some funny skits. And um, I don't know if it was very... For anyone out there that doesn't, you know, understand the Christian faith, that is probably not a really good moment to explain it. But it was fun. It was a funny moment. They're like, "What do you want to do? Let's make a joke about something." We had this uh, summer programming called CMI TV, which stood for Central Music Institute Television. And before the big music um, in the Salvation Army, they played brass music. And before that, the brass music was played for an evening concert. They had some fun entertainment. And I came up for the weird, the weirdest creative idea I thought would, because like reality shows were just becoming popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, we, we should do a, re- a reality show about um, the Mormon church and a guy who has too many wives or has a lot, a lot of wives. I thought that was really funny. And I, but also like edgy and like, wow, I'm, I'm surprised they even let me, you know, pitch this ridiculous thought. Like, and they're like, okay, yeah, that's that is funny. Let's give it a try. I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to be committed to this goofy, goofy <laughs> thought. That, and so, 
I dress up what I, what I think what a Mormon guy might look like, and and they, we we're able to uh, cast some nice gals that were interested in being uh, in this thing, and I I'm like I can't even believe they're saying yes, and sure enough, I would do a scene where, you know, um, I'm walking them to to dinner and how he, the he's a gentleman mormon um that had and so he op- he has to not just um get the chair for for one wife he has to get the chair for all his wives sure so it takes yeah. him a, a real long time so it's really like slapstick and silly and and i went for it and i was i remember being kind of just really really goofy but i thought well that will, that should play well or or it won't so we'll yeah. just about commit 100 percent. and i did it and it, it was i guess it was funny because then you know there's people were roaring laughter and I, I, I oh it's because I also had a fake uh, facial hair I think that's what did it but um yeah I guess it, I mean I don't know where I'm going with this except for that something about having um a safe bubble um yeah is is, is a real it is a precious gift uh, or a unique uh, moment because once you get into a more academic environment or um, when or in a professional environment, it's really kind of cutthroat, and people steal totally. ideas, and it's totally. a whole different thing. And this was just being playful and silly, and it wasn't to be mean spirited towards. Um, the, there's wonderful people in the Mormon Church, but it was just pointing out something that was a hard thing for people to understand. How can you um, have that many wives? And I know that's a particular um, sect within the, the Mormon Church. Sure, which I know but it's, it's, it's a funny observation. It's like, you know, it's not the the emphasis isn't on polygamy. The emphasis is on chivalry in that in that setting. And that's funny, you know, because it does lend yeah. itself to like, you know, French farce and, you know, like a lot of motion. Like, you know, if someone stands up to go to the bathroom. You have to stand up every time, you know, and that's very yeah. funny to me. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I, I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, I did a lot of sketch shows for churches uh, even after I left that because I always liked the the crowds were built in you know all they had to do is say hey we're gonna do this comedy show downtown and all of a sudden 600 people would show up you know in this place you didn't have to hand out one flyer so that was great but also I liked I liked doing I liked doing sketch with the parameters of the rules I always felt like it it set it set it up so much better knowing that you excuse me you had to be more silly than like political or dark or you you know all of those things and in fact I think when I went to Second City I tried to I overcorrected the other way too much and it was like this isn't really my my humor it was like you get in you know you have to read your sketches in the class you don't have to you you um you you assign parts and then people in the class read your sketches so everybody hears it and then they give feedback and then the the teacher at each level gives their feedback and you know i think at the beginning especially it was like i'm going to really shock these people and like it's going to be so funny and over the top and like crazy and then you hear people read it and you're like that's uh, that's just not what i want to put out that's not so then sure. i like scaled it back to just silly and benign you know kind of more and that that's what I love I, that's that's my wheelhouse is like observation you know kind of silly kind of you know well this is 
this is weird. Something's weird about this. And, (laughs) and I love that, um, in that time, and this was before the pandemic, obviously and streaming devices and the digital, you know, revolution, having a live audience that was warm and like ready to laugh and, and wanted you to win. Dude, that was like, there's nothing better. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, so when you, I got a question for you. I, when you're at um, uh, Second City, was there, is there like uh, comedy cultural trends that, that people get like kind of like, they go in that stream, you know, because everyone else sees it's working? Is yeah. That, I, this thing? was more, they would give you, um, in the first few levels, it was like how to, you know, the, the basic nuts and bolts of writing a sketch. And then as you mm-hmm. got into like the, the higher levels, quote unquote, they would give you prompts <laughs> like fish out of water, you know, messing okay. with the audience, um, extended blackouts. And you would write like, you know, for the extended blackout, you would write like 30 blackouts. And you would pitch like, you know, your best three. And what they were trying to do was get you off of that first idea because that first idea is going to be an overlap with a lot of people's first idea. Like if you see a current event, your first take is going to be the same as maybe f- even 50% of the population. So it's like, okay, well, what's my second take? What's my third take? What's the, how can I connect something to this that doesn't, go with it naturally and that's when you know especially in the world of Twitter you read people's tweets and the clever ones are like oh wow I didn't think of that you know yeah instead of the other 10,000 that are like you know using Kanye West as an example it's like same take same take same take same take completely random you know but also clever you're like that's the one like okay right you know, so just trying to train your mind to, to do that. So in that sense, it was kind of formulaic um, in joke structure. But I remember reaching a point where I, I went out to lunch with uh, with one of my teachers, Andy Myra, who had worked at Saturday Night Live as a <clears throat> writing assistant. And was just like, I kind of got to this point where it's like, I don't know why things are funny anymore it was like real weird like you'd gotten into such the the minutia and the and the formula of it that you couldn't see the kind of silly playfulness of it all yeah if that makes any sense no i hear you yeah it takes i i you can er, dissecting it to death yeah right you're saying right 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 I guess if you dissect something, it's already dead. But hopefully, I yeah, <laughs> or it's torture. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They used to believe that babies uh, couldn't feel pain because they hadn't developed that sense yet, so they would do like procedures on babies without any anesthesia. So that's terrifying. Um, that's wild. Yeah, baby anesthesia. That's a that's a <laughs> fun right fact. there. Um, so talk to me about what, what took you to Alaska? What took you to the, yeah. the dog sledding, all that stuff? How, how, how did you get there? Well, you know, I, I uh, went from 
just a being a hot mess in uh, Chicagoland that I needed to just hit a reset. Um, and so I, I did get involved with, um, even though I was really confused with my faith still, I was like one foot in, one foot out at that time. I worked at a summer camp for the Salvation Army in, uh, in a very beautiful area, um, Calabasas, right next to Malibu. And one summer was just, you know, knucklehead summer, still having fun, still figuring things out. But um, had some friends said I looked like I was from Bend, Oregon. And I was like, well, I want the adventure to continue on. I don't want to go and get a real job. I, or I, I want to go check out this community of Bend, Oregon. So I uh, went with a friend, uh, John Aho. <laughs> we didn't have anything figured out. We're just going to get in a, a small little car <laughs> and drive up there on a complete... Um, uh, I don't want to say a whim because that because our both of our hearts were with the, a real romantic spirit of adventure, and that something special was going to be over that hill, you know. And mountains were uh, were special enough, you know. And going to going out west was a was was incredibly romantic. Coming from well, uh, being out west and then going north to see more of the west was just I just couldn't get enough at that time. Um, so yeah, we went up there and, uh, John was responsible. He got a job on the way. Um, and I was real annoyed about that. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> we got to town and we stayed in this really, uh, skeezy, uh, uh, motel and I had terrible gas, which is really a weird part of the story, but it's funny <laughs> because it was that bad, you know, and my, <laughs> my friend got so mad at me. And I felt so bad that I actually got him a, a I'm sorry card, you know, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> now, is there a big market for that specific niche? Oh, no. He didn't take my sorry card. He was so mad. He, just, he said that, that card didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so get there. He gets a, a I'm sorry, what, what were you saying? No, I was I was just asking if there was like a big market for uh, flatulence forgiveness uh, Hallmark cards. <laughs> there should be. I bet there that'd should be, be one of the best-selling cards. R- writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he, got, he got his dumb job. And it was a cool job. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I need to make money. And... Um, we were so so blessed the the kind uh, pastors there they at the salvation army they they let us stay at their home for two weeks while we figured things out they went on vacation we watched their dog and without that that we, we probably would have been homeless is that um, so a uh, is that like a tight-knit fraternity community the salvation army like is that i would i would, I would say if you grew up in the church you you are you're kind of like you're part, of the, you're part of the family, you know. Yeah. But I would, I don't know if all churches are like that. Um, but they should be in a lot of ways if you, if you live by the, the gospel message, you know. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, you should. I mean, you got to use discernment. You wouldn't just let anyone in your home. Um, sure. So yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, I I decided that at that time to figure things out, I'd get a job, and I, I got one lined out. I ended up getting a an offer to work at a sporting goods store and I thought well this will be this will be cool I got you know adventure gear I can buy I can go climbing the mountains on the weekend this will work out this is a good start and um, the manager's like well Andrew we'd love to have you but we're kind of an old-fashioned conservative sporting goods store and and uh, we can't allow you to 
to work here unless you shave your beard. I said, what? Wow. <laughs> you know, in the interview, I'm like, like for real? You know, I didn't say for real, but I, that's what my, my expression was. Sure. And I had to think right then and there, like, what am I going to do? I, I just drove thousands of miles for real adventure and to be true to this romantic what's on the other side of this and I don't I didn't something about it just felt oppressive and just weird and I uh, it wasn't it did not come from a rebellious spirit at that time you know it was more of like I want to be true to myself and I know that there's something really special that's going to happen if I stick to it but it was it was really scary because I was like well I I gotta you know I want to be responsible I want to do the right thing but I knew the right thing was to say no and so I said no right then and there and the manager had a big grin on his face and he he knew that and all that was it was the right thing for me to do and it was the right thing in general because that's a ridiculous thing to ask of someone uh in oregon of all places so yeah um, yeah it's kind of an interesting uh, tell from the universe just being like here's a red flag don't go down this road (laughs) the craziest thing happened so a week later i end up getting um of course, everything's on Craigslist at that time for a young person. So, well, you got to figure it out. You get on Craigslist. So I got on Craigslist to find a, find a job. And um, there was a dog mushing tour guide position available uh, at Trail of Dreams dog mushing. Uh, yeah, and I just was, was like, what is that? I don't, I, dog mushing? I didn't know you could do that. Like, all right, I'm going to send my resume to that. And so I just worked for an adventure um, my story's getting long, but anyhow, I got the job and I went out to the, uh, the high desert, which is the wildest drive. You go out into the middle of nowhere and there's sagebrush everywhere. And it looks like, um, the Hills have eyes like super creepy, you know, gravel road. I'm like, wait a second. This is, what is this? You know, then you turn the corner and you get to this property and it's this amazing view of a hundred sled dogs. Are you like me? Do you live in Chicago and are deathly afraid of heights so you never really fly anywhere? Do you also want to go eat delicious food in Spain? Well, you're in luck. At 5661 North Clark Street in Andersonville lies a little slice of Spain right in our fair windy city, Little Madrid Tapas Cafe. Go there for authentic Spanish cuisine tapas small plates so you're not going to be overfilled it's beautiful the food is incredible the owners are wonderful people Uh, please go support them they only take reservations uh, so be sure to make a reservation but but go there now stop the podcast and go there met me out there and I was just smiling from ear to ear like this is a real adventure this is why I decided to come you know up here and it I knew this was going to work out and my heart was just filled with joy and it was the most beautiful sunny day and I was just I could not stop smiling I pet every single dog in the dog yard and um I, you know they talked to me about the responsibilities and I couldn't get there sooner they said well we unfortunately we can't we can't pay you right now but we would like to but you can come live out here and live you know for free 
And I was like, well, that will work great, you know, because that's I, that'll take care of what I need right now. So I did that and things worked out and I learned how to um, train sled dogs. And it went from, uh, you know, just a, a like a fun idea that turned into a quick passion. So anyhow, I ended up um, learning how to train sled dogs and did, it was one winner that turned into two winners and uh, three winners, four winners. I just loved it. And then a friend called me one day and said, hey, do you want to? come up to Alaska and train some Iditarod sled dogs for this this guy Dallas CB I said well that sounds fun yeah of course I do that's where all the real deal mushers are so I go up there and, and Dallas is a big deal um, you know he's a champion and uh, you know I didn't know much about the, the sport at that level in Alaska at all really in the winter time I'd been up there for one summer briefly, but I went up now for the interior during winter and Arctic um, temperatures. This is very serious, and um, yeah, now to get to learn from a very serious uh, professional who's your, your peer, actually uh, two you know two years younger and just very driven, amazing man, um, was a high honor, and, and it became uh, a great great friendship and. Um, yeah, so I got to work with Dallas and, uh, you know, did, did tours the first season, then was invited again up another time and started um, a racing career, I guess, uh, which I started and is on pause at the moment. Um, so then I got the, the desire to want to do the Iditarod as well. So I've, I've, um, I've got two qualifiers under my belt and then I'm going to treat myself to my first Iditarod down the road here. So, um the pandemic kind of changed some plans, but it ended up being a really good thing. So, yeah. Talk to me about what that, what that process is like, what it mentally, physically, like what, how long is it? It's days long, right? Weeks long, days long. Yeah. Yeah. I did a rod races, uh, essentially a 10 day race. It's a thousand Ten miles. Days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the fastest ones are competing in, are completed in nine days. Or in a, or eight days and you know and and some change and but that's what that was a bit done by uh, Mitch CV uh, when it was very uh, very very cold and I think he, he left out of Fairbanks so it was a different terrain um, but anyhow that I'm sorry Mitch if you're probably not listening to this at any point but <laughs> if, for any Mitch CV fans that I don't have the exact uh, competitive time that he that's you know was a huge breakthrough for this sport. Uh, it was the perfect race that he ran, which is uh, hats off to Mitch. He's incredible. So Mitch is uh, Dallas's dad, and so they're they're Alaskan royalty, and, and there's deservingly so. They're very dedicated to this sport and incredible men. So, um, but yeah, the, when you get to uh, Alaska, your first winner is this: can you can you hang? Can you yeah. actually get through a winter? Um, once you get through the first winter, you know it, you get you get like one thumb up from your. Alaskan peers you get through the second winter you get one thumb up and you know maybe another little thumb that's beginning to go up but by the third winter they'll give you two thumbs up and you're you're kind of in their club um so for me as a, a musher coming from the lower 48 um that's Alaskan speak um but yeah coming from there you, you have to prove yourself and particularly with the Iditarod mushers and their champion dogs you really have to prove yourself um, and you have wild animals that want to kill you and, you know, and you have weather that wants to kill you, <laughs> you know, so there's, 
there's a lot of uh, skills, real serious uh, skills that I ended up learning that I never thought I'd learn, which are incredible. And it, what it really taught me was um, to manage fear, because um, there is God-given fear that keeps us alive, and then there's a, 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 I would say, a dark spirit of fear that is deceptive and can manipulate people, and does so often. Um, and so I was able to identify those two at, within myself, and or identify the 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 things that in my life at that moment in the backwoods of Alaska that would keep me alive and um, when you get scared of something it's a good reaction but you don't let that um, because it's because then it prompts you to do the next right thing but you can't let that fear override you Um, I would say I call it the modern world the world filled with emails and you know um, in social media and everything our our fears are manipulated and deceptive and they're really you know you're going to be fine at the end of the day you, you live in a nice warm home and you, most people have running water and you know it's it's gonna be okay but out on a, a dog sled in the wilderness you know when you're 40 miles away from anything and it's just you and your dogs um and it's arctic temperature say you know negative 35 um or negative 40 wind chill that's even that's really worse well i'm i haven't experienced the worst and i hope not to um you know your perspective changes and sure. um so yeah it, it it was a really it's been really good to learn what i have learned there's so much more to learn you gotta go with the spirit of humility and um my goal to do doing the first i did a rod is just to have it be an incredible race a great uh learning experience and get to know them safe and sound uh, but it takes it takes years to get to even the starting line you know it's a, yeah. a lot of qualifiers a lot of uh training a lot of uh, uh financial resources uh, a lot of dedication um and uh you gotta know your dogs you gotta be you gotta have you gotta be a great dog man or dog woman you know you gotta you, it's, it's all about the bond you have with those dogs and if you don't have that you don't have anything because they they're not, <laughs> If you don't have their trust they'll 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 give up on you at the worst time that's never happened to me i've really been dedicated uh to work with those dogs at a 100 percent level so uh yeah it's it's been interesting and i think it'll inform my creative pursuits uh in a really unique way because it i i'm not as afraid of certain things as i as i used to be you know yeah um you know it's nothing nothing's worse than a, a moose charging you at, at midnight and all you have is a is a is an axe. <laughs> you don't have a gun. And you can, only thing that's separating you is a is an axe and a wild moose. So my perspectives changed for sure. So I'm really thankful for that, and look forward to getting back up there and doing some more mushing in the future. So, wait, did a moose charge you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. It was crazy. I was I was listening to music, um, and uh, I just had the sixth sense in me that said. Andrew, take out your your headphones right now as I'm getting ready to go around this blind corner. It was the weirdest thing. And I, I was like, well, I better listen to this. And so I took off my headphones and there was nothing. I'm like, huh, well, that's odd. And then, burp, here's this moose <laughs> that made this crazy noise. And it was right behind me. And it started charging full tilt. And I'm like, Ugh. and I wanted to yell. I wanted to scream scream for mama but you can't you're like you it's just you and the dogs and you as soon as you freak out the dogs freak out yeah and 
So I, I capped it. I said, nope, no fear. And that was, when you push it down, you say, nope, 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 nope. And then I go, come on, dogs, let's go. Hop, hop, you know, making sure that they don't know there's a moose behind us. I'm like, hey, let's go a little faster. Come on. Hop, 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 yep. you know? And, and it's like that scene in, uh, it's totally like that scene in Jurassic Park with uh, the T-Rex coming at them and they're at the back yeah. of the, the car. Must go faster, must go faster, must go faster. <laughs> it was totally that. And then I really, honestly, I did not think we were going to break away because it was following us so close and it nearly got us. And then all of a sudden we got, we gained a step on them, another step on them. And they just started taking off after the second hill. We went down this this longer hill, and then the moose couldn't catch us. And I'm like, we're, we're getting away, guys. We're gonna make it. But I, I didn't oh, even wow. tell them that I was fearful. Then I was just in my in my heart. You know, you don't you don't let it come out of your heart and out of your mouth. Um, I think that's the key. And um, so that yeah, it was it was awesome. We got away, but we didn't get. I mean, what you didn't get away until you got home. That was the feeling. It was like, ah, there's still like 10 miles yeah. to get back. And there was moose everywhere that night. So I, I was still very concerned. And I knew there was another one around the corner, um, only about 100 yards away from us. And because I'd, I'd sensed it earlier. And, but it, it, it didn't come at us. And we, we, we got away from it. And we got home safe. I gave him a big pets and said, thank you very much. Thank you for getting us back. <laughs> Are moose naturally was, aggressive, or what? what are are they, they naturally can, they can, territorial? They can absolutely, yeah. They can absolutely. They'll run through the dog team. They think it's a pack of wolves, which is their main predator. Uh, they'll yeah. just stomp right through them, and they'll kill them. They'll kill the dogs. And wow. um, you know, worst case, worst case scenario, you got a bunch of dead dogs, and then the moose coming at coming at you. And it, I mean, that it could have been really, really bad. Um, so we. So we, yeah, we, uh, we avoided that one and, um, got back and I was kind of like adrenaline mode still putting the, uh, well, um, but real thankful to get back and, and, uh, got all the dogs home and just, I just went back to my cabin and I, I didn't even get to my bed. I was that tired. I just laid on the ground yeah. <laughs> and I, and I fell asleep there and then I got up in the middle of the night and got to bed properly. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, the next morning, I, uh, I guess in mushing, the dog mushers are very like, they're like detectives. Cause in a race, you can see in the snow, what people have done, uh, that moment. And, you know, my friend is brilliant and he just came out and talked to me cause he wanted to know how my night mush went and he's, you know, training me. He's like uh, Yoda, you know? And I, so he's asking the young Padawan how he did and he already knew I had a terrible night. And, and I was trying to figure out how he knew and it was because I had my axe like sitting out of my um, dog sled all precarious and you know, he knew I'd went on an adventure and he wanted to know how I how it fared and you know I, what I what I learned from that crazy experience was that I, I did keep my composure which was was a good lesson um, did that surprise so you it did actually yeah um, it, it did I mean I never been, you know, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a tough guy. You know, I'm a normal person. I have uh, fears, but when it, I guess when you has like lives on the line that you're responsible for and you love those dogs, like they creates, they create such a, a different part of you. You become like this, uh, become a better version of yourself. Definitely. So I'm really thankful to them. They, they, they teach you so much. They're awesome. Well, and adversity is, it, it it creates a contract with yourself where you're like, right. 
I like to think I'm this way or I would do this in this scenario. And then when adversity happens, you really get to see like what's, you know, in there. And, and in regards to training, like you said um, earlier about anxiety and, you know, when that fight or flight comes in, you can succumb to it or you can trust your, you know, this is do the next right thing. Like, all right, I've been, tra- I've trained mm-hmm. for this. This is what needs to happen now. Absolutely. I think that gets hijacked, you know, in some, in some worlds and arenas, like I'm thinking of the military, especially, I think, you know, it gets overridden where you should be afraid and like, you know, get the heck out of there. People are even able to override their, that in their mind. And that's something that I, I, I don't think I'll ever understand in my personal life, but I mean, that's incredible that you know, here's this big, and moose are huge. I mean, they're huge. So big. Huge. It's a big horse. Um, with yeah, huge, <laughs> yeah, with huge, you know, uh, antlers and yeah. Bullwinkle almost took you out. Dude. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, that was the first thing mega experience and well there's been there's been many more since uh, the I had, I had to shoot a moose and that was boy that was a hard one to do but uh yeah so it, it's just part of Alaska I guess it just you end up getting a couple moose stories if you're up there long enough um, sure but yeah talk to me about yeah. talk to me about that because I, I know if I had to guess you're not mm-hmm you're not at your core traditionally a hunter no like that's not something I, that you get off of on a, i'd say i'd say i see the value more more than ever now of being a hunter gatherer um with with the world being very unstable at the moment yeah um maybe it's always been unstable and now it's just being you know this is the moment where it's really exposed obvious. yeah exposed yeah um you know uh yeah there's something to be said about that uh and i i think it'd be you know i like actually to be honest i really would prefer never to have to because it's so nice to go to a grocery store and easy to pick things out um yeah but but if you can just step outside your you know back door and just shoot something that you know that's yours to shoot i really believe that that you know without animals we don't now to any vegans out there that hate me already i i'm really sorry i'm it's not um i don't have a bent or anything i just it's just what i believe you know i i i think it's wonderful if you're a vegan and that's how you see see life i i see it a little different and um you know in alaska it's very hard to be uh, a vegan i know there are vegans up there but i'm talking real alaska i'm not talking city alaska okay yeah. that's that's actually not alaska they make jokes about that but out in the out in the woods rural alaska is very difficult and if you shoot a moose which is there's plenty of them and regulated properly um that moose can get you through you and your whole family through a whole winter so that was that was eye-opening you know growing up from a very you know big city environment and um seeing that kind of life and being surrounded by it all the time the lessons taught me so much and they're they're experts at gathering and they can they can they can literally live in their cabin the, the great ones 
live in their cabin and not leave, leave their home or dwelling for a full month before going back into town to go get uh, resources, which is, that was kind of incredible thought to me because I just, everything was so convenience oriented, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a tan- that's a long tangent. So no, all the uh, hate mail for uh, vegans, my email address is Andrew E. Smith. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. You're not gonna get that. <laughs> um, question about that though: Were there any, were there any things that you gave up in that time that like you just kind of parted ways with in terms of the convenience, in terms of like um, adjusting from <laughs> obviously city life to wildlife, literally? Uh, I gave up uh, being connected to social media all the time and pop culture where like, you know, starting off in art school, like that's a big thing is like studying all the great artists and keeping up with all the amazing art and trends and what's going on with this film director and actor or what's going on in the scene. That was like a big thing and focus because you can learn so much from it and it's interesting. Um, But when you got up to Alaska, it's like, forget all this nonsense like that that's boring actually i want to learn what alaska's story is and to insert yourself into it you need to come in um with a, a humble heart and 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 listen and um remove all that and you know i i changed out uh you know watching um all the new newest films or whatever to just enjoying a old vhs film that was sitting uh, at the cabin uh, my dear friend's cabin and that was you know i watched indiana jones i think once that whole winter and that was just you know someone who used to digest films all the time and yeah pop culture so i let i let that all kind of go um and then um just kind of was really really comfortable at uh quiet and alone mm-hmm. but not alone in a bad way like solitude um and this different speed that I can only um, imagine is very close to what maybe uh, Native Americans that people that lived off the land might get tuned into you as a musher you become so tuned into the the weather patterns and landscape um, because you're gonna you're gonna be out in it all day you know so um, there's something really powerful about that and uh, yeah you, you need to you need to be detached from all that other nonsense you should check in from time to time, you know, and call your family and, you know, see what's going on in the news to a certain extent, but not to be um, burdened by it, which so many Americans are. And then to find out the burdens that they're carrying are deceptive from the very beginning. The majority of, uh, I like to think I come from an independent perspective on watching the news. Maybe it is slanted in some ways um, due to my convictions. Um, it breaks my heart to see the majority of Americans seemingly carrying burdens that they don't need to because of the entertainment or the entertainment. Well, the, the news has made the entertainment and yeah. um, that's a bummer. And it, the constructed and so narrative that is really just selling us and dividing us, you know, to, to, yeah. to kind of keep us in this, you know, so we don't question things that that don't make sense of it you know do you think that it's to our detriment that we are kind of removed from organic nature 
to the degree that we are in our modern civilization? Uh, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll I'll say this though to be not not the devil's advocate, but uh, to I, I also see people that live off the land all the time, and or people that are so far removed that they don't welcome new technologies or advances, and um, that it's okay to have like running water in your home and uh, yeah. you know, electricity and <laughs> all those wonderful things, uh, the the basics and beyond. But yeah, you you need to get you need to get in touch with the soil and be able to grow something, um, and and be able to, you know, that's a that's an incredible thing. Most people have a yard, right? And yeah. I was actually just walking uh, through my, my family's neighborhood and seeing everyone um, focusing on these beautiful flowers, you know, and doing all this yard work, and it made me laugh. I was like, why are they why are they planting those? Like, you can't eat any of that. Why don't you plant yeah. something you could eat? Is what I was thinking. Like you know mine should make your work valuable you know anyhow so um yeah i have a i have a dream that will be coming to pass here soon and having my own place and property where i can i can do that for myself so seeing my friends do it so well it's time i get to do it yeah that's been i think a, everyone that's should have a, uh, chickens pa- that's a <laughs> that's been a pandemic dream of mine is to grow our own you know not even necessarily obviously not fully self-sustainable but even you know supplementally i mean we're buying produce that's been shipped here from all over the world right instead of just you know i mean there's something it's it when you take a step back mm-hmm. obviously we've lived here our whole lives we only know this environment but when you think about like I can put this little seed in the ground and all of a sudden there's this, you know, it's magic. It really, you know, when you reduce, when you reduce it, it's magic that, you know, these vegetables come out of the, out of the ground from nothing but the sun and the water. And, you know, sometimes they need a little help, but, you know, otherwise it's really, kind of just nature doing the heavy lifting and there's so much allegory from nature and I miss it so much living in the city that during the pandemic my first instinct was just uh, you know Abby and I didn't agree on this but I was looking at like little 10 acre farmettes and I'm like let's let's get everyone we know move to this property (laughs) we'll start a you know kibbutz or whatever and we'll just we'll do it you know, we'll really do it. And man, I, I don't know. I don't know that that enthusiasm would be lasting, but I, I would love to experience it and just, man, I I think that there's something so powerful to, like you said, just reconnecting with the soil and yeah. not even in like a, I mean, I'm open being, to being present mystical. with the sunset is powerful, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's mastery that we take for granted, that I take for granted every single day. Absolutely. It's right before our eyes. Yeah. What do you think about when you're, when you're in that isolation? Where does your mind go? What do you... Ooh, How do you occupy question. your mind for that long period of time? 
you really have to be diligent at it because there are there are weeks that are so difficult and if mm-hmm. you don't keep your your own personal mind your 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 uh, your soul on track you, you can get derailed with i mean a, a bad week in alaska can really turn into a bad month really quickly um so i i always kind of made it like a, i had some rules you know that were kind of funny i just but they they worked for me i just made sure i went to bed prayed up you know you know i just said a prayer for bed and made sure i was in my right mind right spirit and that helped significantly um but that didn't stop the weird thoughts that one would have when it's like negative 20 you're it's moonlight you know in the middle of nowhere and you have to deal with you have to deal with yourself in like yeah. really like deep and sometimes really dark way and you're like wow i didn't even know where that thought came from who you know who is that you know and you would dissect it and um and i, I believe there is a force out there that is not for us and there's there's a darkness in this, this world and I, sometimes i attribute to that but i think we, we all have our own demons that we have to 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 deal with and i think mine um i've always been about past relationships that would come up and i would just think about the mistakes i'd make i had made and um those would seem to haunt me but then i'd, I'd come out of that dark thought and realize that i had received great forgiveness for that a grace yeah. that that I couldn't even comprehend and I would just always lean back on that at the end of it fully yeah I mean not not just fully but like that's that's the only way I've been able to move on in this this life without it I would you know I would be dead it's, that's that that's the reality it's funny I my last interview was with a dear friend of mine that um, I had gone to uh, Bible college essentially with and uh he is now kind of on the other side of his faith. He got heavily into um, prosperity movement, uh, you know, things like that. Sure. And once the holes started being poked in that, the whole thing kind of crumbled. But one thing that he said, and he was so adamant about, he's like, I never want to take it away from anybody. I never want to, you know, cause someone to doubt their faith because it is such a powerful a powerful thing and you know even talking to people of all faiths no faith at all you know the common kind of denominator is that if you can believe and if you do believe and it's pure that's optimal you know kind of um, that's that's the best part of this journey thus far and I think that I had kind of locked the door on that after leaving the church and like just you know kind of seeing behind the curtain of the modern American mega church environment yeah and the pandemic has kind of caused me to reopen that door but reopen that door sure. with a you know challenge challenge everything through the lens of is this loving my neighbor as myself and that just that little elementary concept I think I could spend the rest of my natural life trying to figure out the depths of just that just that little you know concept that's a big one too especially if your neighbor sucks 
Totally. Especially like, you know, the other day I was thinking about it. It's like loving your neighbor as yourself is like if I were Elon Musk, let's say, Mm -hmm. I would want someone to tell me like, hey, man, you're accumulating too much wealth and like you're doing it wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, so now is it my responsibility to try to reach out to Elon Musk and say, hey, man, I would want somebody to tell me this, too. But it's because I love you. But like you're hoarding too much and you're well, yeah, stealing. There's a Bible verse about that. Yeah, yeah. of course. There's, a, there's there a lot. In Proverbs, it's about uh, making sure to not hoard grain, you know, like, yeah, there's parameters and it backfires on people when they when they don't. And and. And at times life is not just and people get away with it for a long, long time. But at some point it, it, it tends to, yeah, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Musk is quite the character, huh? He's always on the top of the headlines. I, I wonder about his, um, his purchase of Twitter, how that will work out for him. That seemed a little greedy. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I, I do too. I think he's trying to, I, like, just from the little bit that I know about him and his backstory, I think he's trying to create a, what he perceives as a utopia, but would essentially be for everyone but him a dystopia by definition. <laughs> it's like, if I can own everything, well, then you guys are free to use it. I just own it. But it's like, well, no, that's, that's the power dynamic that doesn't work for for when one person owns something that you know yeah so many people are using and should be a, of public use i mean the, the internet was developed by military research and development off government tax dollars so essentially we taxpayers created the internet and because it, it you know it wasn't it's weird how they can privatize things that there's really no law for yet. And they're kind of catching up with the law. Uh, It's a weird time because technology is kind of advancing sooner than we can kind of put regulation on it. And some people don't want any regulation on it, but it is such a powerful thing and, and can be a great tool. Like any tool, it can be great and getting very useful. It can also be very dangerous and very destructive. I was just thinking about that guy, uh, Pete, with his popsicles. Yeah. What if he, cre- like, you know, this? he got his popsicles and he put them on, well, I would put the popsicles on a power drill and you'd have, like, you could eat your popsicle a lot faster, you know. <laughs> popsicle laid. Just, yeah. I mean, some might say that's evil way of using the tool and could be dangerous or brilliant. I don't know. That's not really funny, but I guess in comedy, you're supposed to bring things full circle. That's right. But I do like, um, you bring up an interesting point and we've kind of talked about it, um, with personal luxury and running water and things like that. I used to always give the Amish a a really hard time because they're kind of an easy target. Yeah, they are. They look funny, huh? Well, and you know, they reject technology and I thought that they rejected all technology. But what I found out from somebody who, has lived close to the community is that they reject any technology that doesn't serve the com- serve the community that for example right. could have dominion over them 
you know, they could they could worship it or or it could become yeah. an idol. That, or it could become coveted. It, yeah, sure. Yeah. I could see where they're coming from. I, t- I talked to the Amish uh, gentleman about that. And he he uh, he told me that point of view. And I, I had a great respect for it. You know, totally. You know, those, I mean, are things. I mean, my biggest struggle is the stupid uh, smartphone. I swear it makes me so dumb. I mean, it's not a smartphone when I use it at all. It becomes an addiction. And you're like, wait a second, put this down. Why am I even... You know, and they, they have whoever they is. First of all, as a comedian like you are, Jeff, please help me on a bit about they. It's some crazy, <laughs> crazy organization, and they're out living in outer space, and they're in control yeah. of everything. But yeah, they have created these apps to be addictive, and you don't even realize you're going down that wormhole, and all of a sudden, like 20 minutes have gone by, and you don't even know what you've done. Yeah. Um, but they have all this information on you. Anyway quite interesting it is interesting and it's scary it, it, it's 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 not scary it as scary. much as it's overwhelming to me that like i remember when i left the restaurant industry i was working for a company and they had developed this software somebody had developed this software that every time you ate at one of their properties they would log what you had the wine that you drank and so you could go into any of their properties and the server would get like a like a kind of a little profile on you and they would recommend things and to you it would seem like almost serendipitous Weird. or like mystical but it was all from you know data collected and that's kind of I mean that's essentially what an algorithm is it's like we can predict you to the nth degree and now you're getting advertising you're not being bombarded with commercials that you don't want to see the opposite is happening you're getting advertised with things that you want that you didn't know existed and that's even more dangerous bless you and that sneeze means we're uh, out of time <laughs> that means Abby has come back into the uh into the room to go to sleep uh broadcasting live from the bedroom studio uh andrew it's been a pleasure having you and chatting with you um i look forward to working with you on some creative projects in the future uh one that i won't dare uh discuss yet because you know it's it's just it's still too yeah it's a mystery, but look for uh, look for our project uh, in the very near future. Um, thank you so much for coming on on yeah. short notice. Yeah, thank you for having um, me. It was a it was a high honor, and I, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, yeah. For anyone that listened the whole way through, thank you for listening the whole way through. That was really yeah, absolutely. Was really we, we just had our to listen to us the whole way. We had our five hundredth listen uh, today, so it's a mile oh, wow. marker That's for this awesome. podcast. Yeah, I mean it's congratulations. It's crazy, That's a big um, deal. but now I think myself and anyone listening to this is going to go to sleep and dream about Alaska and uh, try to avoid getting chased by a moose. So I have a new thing to be afraid <laughs> of now. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, right. But always a pleasure. Is that Any. Well, give us, uh, give us, give us some parting wisdom. Give us some one nugget of, of, of wisdom. (laughs) Did I lose you? No. 
Oh, give us give us one nugget or just like yeah, what do you mean? like a like a nugget of like wood, a chicken like nugget? what chicken nugget? nugget sure, like a like what's something that? Um, oh, here's here's a nugget of wisdom. There you go. Um, if you ever get on the <laughs> if you ever get on the McDonald's uh, deals uh, app, you can get a really great deal on chicken nuggets. I mean, crazy good deal. It's not funny. I'm just being very serious. I like McDonald's from time to time. Uh, there you go. But, but, more, but more seriously, if you go up to Alaska and you intend to see it, go see it while you're young. Uh, don't wait till you're an older person. Go live life now. What, what, uh, what's in your heart that, that is, is drawing you to, is, that's your calling. Go for it and don't let anyone tell you different. And um, you'll find the next step along the way. It reminds me of uh, the movie Dead Poet Society when Robin Williams uh, quotes the poem, the powerful play goes on and you can contribute one verse. What will your verse be? And man, I think that's so cool. Adventure awaits, go and seize it and be your authentic self. I think that's great advice. I appreciate you and I thank you for sharing your story with us and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future man yeah have a great night all right you too bye man bye